Outside the Shoot would like to thank one of their sponsors, the Lynx at Penn Hills. If you're a golfer, you're going to want to check out the Lynx at Penn Hills in Shubenacadie, Nova Scotia. With nine holes wide open situated along the beautiful Shubenacadie River, and the other nine tucked into woodland, this Les Ferber design is a challenge for the best of golfers. Located just 15 minutes from the Halifax Stanfield International Airport, the Lynx at Penn Hills has become one of the best courses in Nova Scotia. For more information or to book a tee time, go to lynxatpennhills.com. Hey everyone, hope everybody had a great weekend. Happy Monday once again and welcome to episode 19 of Outside the Shoot. I'm your host, Randy Frame. Before we get to the OTC Player of the Week, we need to congratulate Erin Durant of Ottawa, Ontario, as she took home the two Outside the Shoot t-shirts from our social media draw to celebrate our 10,000 downloads. Congrats, Erin. The shirts are in the mail. This week's OTC Player of the Week comes to us from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, as Mia Johnson of the Queen of Diamonds 16U team takes home the weekly honor. Mia went 6-for-7 with three doubles as her Queen of Diamonds team opened up pool play at the GTS Spooky Series Showcase with a 2-0 record. Great job, Mia. Best of luck the rest of the way. On to our guests this week, and we sat down and chatted with former Shubenacadie, Nova Scotia native, now Grand Forks, North Dakota native, and ISC Hall of Famer, Gerald Musler. Musy is an eight-time ISC All-World selection, three-time ISC Most Outstanding Pitcher, has three ISC World titles, and a Canadian Senior Men's National title in 1998, just to name a few. We're going to talk to Gerald about getting his start in Shubenacadie and guys he would, would have played with growing up along the way. The amazing run at the 1993 Canada Games with Team Nova Scotia, winning the national title on home soil with the Halifax Jaguars in 1998, as well as his storied ISC career which launched him into the Hall of Fame in 2019. Musi has now taken on a role as pitching coach with Softball USA on the men's national team, and we'll also find out his thoughts on that transition. It was awesome to catch up with Musi and talk about his illustrious career. I'm sure you're all going to enjoy this interview. So as usual, grab that drink, sit back, relax, because here we go. I've got the world in my palm, lights, camera, action, it's on. I can't describe what I'm feeling, ain't never felt this freedom. I've got the world in my palm, lights, camera, action, it's on. Ain't never felt this freedom. Could you, could you say that anything goes, anything goes, anything goes. Another week. First off, uh, before we get going, I uh, want to give uh, send out condolences to uh, the Toronto Gators on the passing of uh, Jack Fireman there. Uh, condolences to his wife, Julie, and family. Uh, pretty big loss in the softball community. 100% it was. The guy's been, uh, he was the ball guy. You know, when we were growing up with the Toronto Gators, he was everything. And yeah. I think we, actually, who had touched on that? Uh, one of the guys that we had on had said how much of a family guy he was and yeah. how he ran that program too. Yeah. Yeah. I think it might have been Our condolences. Bowley, wasn't it? I yeah. think it may have been. Yeah. yeah I don't remember, but yeah. yeah. So it's, it's unfortunate. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so our league, the Shooters League, finished up last night uh, in dramatic fashion. Yeah, sure did. I got to attend. Uh, you weren't able to, unfortunately. And I happened to videotape every at-bat from the fifth on in, sorry, fifth inning on because there was always a runner on base and looked like there was a chance to break it open. Um, 
Yeah, hats off to uh, both Travis and Evan who pitched for Shuby and to Justin Schofield, of course, at Brookfield. And to Jeremy Reggie Peckerlock with a walk-off <laughs> bomb in the bottom of the eighth inning. Yeah. It's pretty exciting. That's Very awesome. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's awesome when you can see a, a walk-off, especially in the in the finals of a league championship. That's, yeah, that's 100%, awesome. Yeah, and it, it went to show to our league how competitive it's getting now because uh, there was a huge crowd there. Both teams were fired up. It, yeah. uh, it was really good. Awesome. Fun to watch. Yeah. Congrats. Yeah, freaking right. Hopefully we can carry that on into next summer and make it even more competitive. Absolutely. Uh, want to, our, our downloads are still going up. Yeah, so we're over 50 a day since September 13th. September 13th. We got a streak going here of uh, over 50 a day, which, I mean, you know, cons- <laughs> we're no spitting chiclets or anything like God, no. that. Or no, but, no. Uh, I mean, for, for us, that's that's oh, it's pretty good. Oh, man. It's exciting. Yeah. People are starting to listen. Yeah. And as I said to you earlier, I think it's... You had said Scof had 11 today, and he was our very first yeah. guest. And I think it's people are starting to join and going back and starting at the very beginning. That's right. Like that's, a binge watching. Yeah. Thing. Pretty cool. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. So we got the, we got a pretty good, pretty big guest today, I guess. Yeah. 100%. A, I've known Musi for a long time. It's funny because I coached his brother in basketball. I played basketball with Musi. Um, I, I went to school with his sister, Cheryl. I never ever did get to play ball with Musi because uh, he went yeah. to different teams. But uh, yeah, I've known him for a long time. That's cool. awesome. Yeah, I can't wait to. He has a lot of good uh, stories there that I found out. I want to ask him about the, the Canada Games year in '93, where yeah. he uh, he made both the softball and the basketball team That's and had great. to had to pick between the two. So yeah. it'd be interesting to see what yeah. uh, what he says about that. So guy was an athlete, man. Yeah. So. Let's uh let's get to him. All right. All right. All right, Musi. Musi, thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. How's uh how are you, Laura and the family making out? You know, all things considered, not too bad. There's uh some snow uh in Fargo just south of us last night, but uh, we didn't get it here. So all things considered, you can't complain. Awesome. Right awesome, awesome. Yeah, that that was gonna be my I was gonna wonder if you were uh, still in North Dakota or because for your business you're based out of Chicago for your business, are you not? Yeah, yes. I work for a company in Chicago, but uh, live in Grand Forks, North Dakota, and just travel there or pre-COVID travel there right. a few days a month. But then, other than that, just work from home. Right on. Nice. So, how how was the summer? A little little different than normal, I imagine. Yeah, it was. Especially, I would say the the spring was a lot different. Uh, high school sports were shut down. Uh, they shut down high school sports actually the day before uh, state championship basketball game, oh. uh, which is a big deal in this state. Uh, so it's uh, quite a move for them to do that. And then the entire high school baseball season uh, and softball season was canceled. Uh, so it was a little strange. But then things started opening up here probably the beginning of June. Um, and my son had a full. Uh, he plays Legion baseball, and they had pretty much a full Legion baseball season uh, with a few restrictions, but for the most part, it was uh, a little bit back to normal. Nice. Nice. Right on. Well, so tell us about uh, growing up and getting your start in the game in uh, Shubenacadie, Nova Scotia. Yeah, sure thing. Uh, so I started uh, when I was seven and I've listened to a few of the podcasts here and a lot of the guys talk about how they uh, started because of their dads. Uh, my story was quite different. Actually, I, I started playing soccer when I was about five because of my dad. He uh, he grew up in Holland and that was a sport he'd grown up playing. So that's all I really knew uh, kind of early years and played soccer when I was five and six. But then all of my friends in school played softball. And, uh, so kind of decided to give that a try. Uh, so when I was seven, I, I started playing softball and uh, should be at that time, actually had two teams uh, for might yeah. and uh, all the, all the new kids who didn't know how to play uh, were on 
should be two. So that was the team I was on, which, uh, <laughs> you know, all the good athletes were on should be one, uh, but actually worked out pretty well because you know, being on a team with not a lot of talent and just trying to figure out the game myself, uh, ended up, uh, kind of becoming a pitcher really from first practice. Uh, I still remember, uh, it was, uh, it was Jim Kelly. Uh, he was, he was our coach and said, anybody wants to pitch or catch, come on over. Uh, I thought it'd be cool to wear the catcher's gear. Uh, so I went over and they said, uh, you're too tall for the gear. So you're pitching. And that's how it started. Wow. wow. <laughs> that's awesome. So was there any, any coaches in minor ball growing up that, that stick out to you? Yeah, I mean, there, there are a few, and, and really growing up in, in Chevy and in the East Hampton area, I uh, had quite a few really high-quality coaches who had a lot of experience in the game. Um, you know, early on, uh, Bill McBurney was one of my earlier coaches, uh, sort of at the might and uh, squirt level. Uh, I remember uh, playing for him early on. I remember Mel Miller, probably around squirt and peewee. Uh, he did uh, some coaching as well. And then uh, once we get to later years, Colin Eisner uh, actually did quite a bit, uh, especially with our, our rep teams for East Hans in, uh, in a Pee age group. Um, and then and then when we got uh, to midget age, we combined with uh, with Newport, and uh, Justin Johnson ended up coaching us, and Colin uh, was there. Dale Verge helped coach as well. So really, I had you know, really good quality coaching through most of my minor ball and really into kind of the peewee and midget years as well. Nice, nice, nice. We had a question about the whole West Hance, East Hance experience. Um, who were some of the guys that played from down the Newport area with you on that team? Oh, so I remember... Uh, yeah, well, it's, uh, you're going to test my memory here. I yeah. know Peter Lothers was one of them. Uh, Andy, I believe Andy uh, McDade, I think was his last name. Okay. Um, Darren, uh, what was Darren's last name? Yeah, I'm drawing a blank on a oh, few of them. Fine. Were, that's fine, yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah, then there was Matt, Matt and Luke. They were twins. Uh, I don't recall their last name as well, but uh, I think there was yeah, probably six or seven of them from the, the Newport area. Okay. And then the rest of us from East Ants. Excellent. Excellent. Right Paul right now down in that area is non-existent. They're, they're, really? Uh, yeah, really? That's, that's a shame. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Growing up, I, I still remember, uh, I would say we were probably uh, probably squirt age, so nine years old. Yeah. And that uh, was the first time we ever got to play under the lights. Newport came down to Chevy and we played under the lights. Oh, and, nice. <laughs> uh, they were they were basically invincible at that at that age. It seemed like it does. Uh, so yeah, I yeah. think we maybe scratched a couple hits off of them. Uh, but yeah, always had good quality teams. Uh, really Newport and then Windsor through uh, junior and yeah. uh, intermediate ball always had good teams. So it's yeah. Uh, yeah, a shame to hear there's not much in that area. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Man. Yeah, it's funny you, you talk about men- mentioned playing under the lights. It's, I can still remember being like in Squirt and Peewee and getting that schedule at the beginning of the season yeah. and see what games you're playing under the lights just That's because right. you're like, you think it's a big time, right? So yeah, we uh, actually still do yeah. that. Uh, yeah. We do that with minor ball now. We schedule a night, an under the lights night uh, for the kids just so they can okay. gain that experience. Yeah, yeah, they love it. Yeah. I, I thought you were going to, yeah. I, yeah. I thought you were actually going to say with our, with our shooters league. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, like, I don't get that excited anymore. <laughs> oh, fuck no. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, funny things out. I, I always got excited as a kid to play under the lights. And then as my career started to wind down, I got excited to play under the lights because it was a lot harder for the hitters to see. So <laughs> yeah. I look forward to that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So in, in 1993, uh, you, uh, went to the Canada games. Is it true you had, you got, you had to choose between softball and basketball that year? 
Yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, so I was went through the selection process for both softball and basketball. Um, I, I think it was somewhere probably around now uh, Christmas time, maybe even into the beginning of the next year, and uh, would continue through the selection process for both teams. And uh, eventually, I, I just uh, you know knew sort of what my position would be with softball. Uh, I knew that uh, I'd get the ball. Uh, I knew that I'd get an opportunity to play. And I think more importantly, I knew that as a team, we had a chance to, to do really well. Right. Uh, on the basketball side of things, uh, it was tempting because uh 93, I was graduating and then was going on to play basketball at Acadia. So to get that experience and everything would have been really helpful from the basketball standpoint. Uh, but I, I really didn't know exactly what my role would be. Uh, the, you know, the team itself probably wouldn't meddle. Uh, so basically decided to uh, go the softball direction. Yeah, not a bad choice, I don't think. No. So at the big picture. Yeah, I think it panned out all right. Yeah. Panned out all right. Although uh, uh, if I would have played basketball, we would have ended up playing against Steve Nash. So that would have been something to oh, been cool. remember. But, oh, wow. uh, but yeah, all things considered, I think it was the right decision. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So you, you got to play under the, the late, great Tommy Desette. Uh I had the privilege as well yeah. in 97. Um, tell, tell us about Coach Desette and and just how smart he was at the game. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that, uh, Tommy was very different than any other coach I'd played for in the, the few years prior, uh, especially the earlier, uh, years I'd been playing for Colin Eisner and Justin Johnson. And, and I would say that they were, uh, in some ways, maybe a little more direct, a little harder on us. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tommy just had this way about him of, he was never hard on you. Uh, I don't ever remember him raising his voice, uh, but he got the most out of you. And he, he was able to set an expectation. Uh, he was able to hold guys accountable and then really get the best out of his athletes. Uh, but really at the same time, he was a teacher. Uh, yeah. and, uh, and he was, he was very good at either teaching himself or bringing uh, people into the program that could help teach. Uh, so I think skill development was a very big part of it for him. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I still remember uh, him bringing in, Tim McCumber uh, to kind of work with me, learn how to use my legs a little bit more. Um, I think it was uh, Peter Ashley, if I remember correctly, brought him in to kind of show us how to throw. He threw his rise ball. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's really how I started throwing my rise ball was, uh, you know, some of the stuff that they taught us. Um, Or I shouldn't say started throwing, but probably uh, made it into a rise ball that actually went up instead of this lazy little sideways spin. Uh, So, yeah, I think just that teaching component uh, came natural to him and and definitely benefited me. Yeah. That's awesome. Now, that that summer, like, playing for the whole summer. One thing I noticed like that I had to get used to was the amount of times we were on the field for the whole summer. Cause I think, I think in 97, we may have had three days off from May until Canada games. Were, were you guys the same way? Yeah, we were, we were very similar. Uh, had, uh, definitely played a lot of ball, uh, at that time, um, I think it was still called the Metro major league at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the keys were in there. Windsor Legion was in there. Uh, I know Tro, uh, I don't know if they were called uh, Miller excavators at that time or, the, but they were, uh, they were in the league. So, uh, well, we had uh, really not only a lot of ball, but a lot of high quality games, uh, uh we're playing probably two double headers a week and almost every weekend we were uh, playing a tournament that would be Friday through Sunday and you'd play five or six games. So mm-hmm. easily, uh, easily getting in probably seven to 10 games every week. Yeah. yeah it was, it was pretty crazy actually. <laughs> uh, now yeah. let's, no. let's talk about the games. I mean, you guys had 
a remarkable run to a silver medal. Maybe uh, talk a little bit, bit about that run. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I kind of remember Canada Games from a few different aspects. One is obviously the event itself. Mm. Uh, it's the first time I'd ever been to a multi-sport event like that, uh, which was really cool experience. Ours was in Kamloops, uh, so kind of traveling. I think it was probably the first time I was in BC. Uh, so just the, the whole experience of being in part of a, a big event like that was pretty cool. Uh, as far as the my personal performance, it was a bit of a letdown, actually. I um, With Steve Johnson was our other uh, pitcher. Um, he uh, he wasn't around a lot during the season. He was, uh, I think, you know, uh, being in college and uh, you know, working full-time, ended up missing quite a bit of ball. So I probably did the lion's share of pitching leading up to it um, and was going in, uh, you know, probably expected to throw a lot. Uh, and, and I struggled, uh, struggled early. I think uh, probably my first two games were both losses uh, in games we should have won. And Steve, on the other hand, uh, really turned it on, had a remarkable week. Uh, so I think the combination of things, uh, you know, he had, a, he had a great week, sort of carried the team on his back. I struggled a little bit personally, but uh, but he, he carried us to a silver medal. I would say he maybe gave up one run in the last three games, wow. something like that. Um and then we got into the final against Saskatchewan and he got kicked out of the game uh, <laughs> after being on this chair. So if, uh, if he wouldn't have got kicked out of that game, I don't know. I think we had a shot at a gold medal. Although I do believe we had to beat, uh, beat Saskatchewan twice. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, ended up, we lost. I think we came you know, a couple runs short of winning the gold medal game, yeah. uh, but overall, you know, great experience, especially on that stage um, in a multi-sport event. It was a pretty cool experience. Sweet. Yeah. That would have been awesome. Like this, you know, to even medal at the games. We, yeah. Like we had, we had a shot in 97. Like we finished first in our pool and then, then collapsed in the playoffs. But I mean, you know, you, you get a sniff of it and you're like, Oh, that'd be just something to experience to bring home a medal. So yeah, that would, that would have been yeah. awesome. Yeah. I think we were the exact opposite. We were, we struggled a little bit early in the week. If I remember correctly, uh, we were either under 500 or right at 500 through the round robin play. Um, and, uh, I clearly remember, uh, being in the huddle before our last playoff or our last round Robin game, which was a must win just to get into the playoffs to get single life. And Tommy Doucette, uh, who, uh, had a little bit of a speech impediment and, yeah. uh, struggled with his S's and he sort of made light of it. And, uh, I think he, he said, you know, I, I don't like saying my S's boys, but we've got a six step ladder or something like that. <laughs> the whole team just roaring and he made light of it. And, and it was kind of that point. It was like, it's do or die. We had to win every game. I think, I think it was six games in a row that we would have to win to win gold and yeah. came up a little short, but yeah. we just continued to get on a roll and got some hot pitching from Steve Johnson and nice. uh, ended up, uh, ended up with a very good run. It's funny. You bring up Tommy's speech impediment. Paul Purcell was on your team. Was he not? Yes, he was. What oh, a beauty he is. Does he ever do an <laughs> imitation of Tommy, Tommy to a T? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It was even funnier when he did it in front of Tommy. <laughs> I and imagine. Tommy, Tommy, I think that appreciation or appreciated that. Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. Uh, the following year, you uh, you played for Junior with a Hans County team we that we touched on with based on East Hans and Newport together, and then you were beat out by Sheet Harbor. And you were picked up yeah. for nationals by Sheet Harbor. Yeah. So yeah. So uh, at that time, um, you know, I think 
it was still, uh, and I don't know if it's still the same way today. Certain provinces had sort of um, a status where they could pick up a few players going into nationals. And it was always the, the natural thing is to pitch, uh, pick up some more arms and some pitching. So, uh, so went to juniors with Sheet Harbor. Uh, we did. Okay. I don't even remember where we finished exactly, but, uh, no, we weren't real competitive, didn't medal. Mm. Uh, I don't think I really saw the ball a whole lot, but it was the first time I went to junior nationals and uh, definitely a good experience for me. Right on. Awesome. That's good. In 95, you uh, played intermediate with the Windsor Legion and ended up getting picked up by the Halifax Keys to attend the, the Senior Nats in St. John's, Newfoundland. That must have been a pretty cool experience for your for your first Senior Nats. Yeah, that, that was a turning point for me when I sort of look back and say, where were those points that sort of, whether it's a coming out party or sort of a pivotal season, that was definitely pivotal season for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, the ironic thing is it all started with uh, Mark Smith carrying his Achilles and being out for the season. Uh, so the, uh, the Keiths were a little short on pitching with Mark going down. Uh, they had Tim Slum White and they also had uh, Jim Cowdery uh, for nationals. Uh, but they picked me up to go to, uh, to national. I had a, a pretty good year with Windsor Legion and uh, we got there and uh, as a team, kind of the, the exact opposite of Canada games experience as a team, we, we struggled. I think we lost our first six games and maybe one was a blowout. Other than that, they were all one run, two run games, very close, very competitive games. Uh, but as a team, we, we just came out on the losing side, I think in every one of them and, and maybe finished the weeks six or one and six or something yeah. like that. Uh, but I remember the first game of that nationals, we were playing against Owen sound, a very solid team. They, they maybe weren't the same Owen sound team that we saw in the late nineties, uh, early two thousands, but still very competitive team. They had Coxie. And I don't remember if it was Timmy Slomwood who started or, or, Cowdery, uh, but ended up that uh, they made a pitching move. I think it was Cowdery started. Swan White came in. Cowdery came back in to hit for Timmy, maybe late in the game in the sixth inning. And, you know, it's pretty quick to do the math sitting there on the bench. And I was kind of expecting to just ride the bench for the week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that it's either Cowboy going back in or it was me. Yeah. And uh, then he told me to get loose. And so I went into my first game and, um, and it went well. And so I think we now, I think held them scoreless for an inning. And, um, and that was kind of my role. The first three, four games is an inning here and inning there. And then yeah. ended up, uh, as we were struggling and, uh, not winning games, uh, Smitty put me in more and more games. And, uh, I still have a, uh, you know, they do the, the daily stats yeah. sheets, yeah. uh, nationals. I still have one. Uh, I'm not a real collector. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of stuff, but I have a sheet from it's probably about Wednesday of that event. And it had the top pitchers for the tournament. And I was there, I had a zero ERA. I only probably had seven or eight innings yeah. um, and you know, mop up innings. So, but it was on there and it was Zach, Pietnik, <laughs> Henniger, uh, Steve Price, yeah. you know, all the big names at that time were on that list. And there's my name sort of nice. right in the middle of them. And, and uh, so I kind of held on to that and uh, fortunate enough to be able to go head to head against a lot of those guys over the years. Yeah. That was uh, yeah. The first point where you know, introduction to being there with the big guys and you know, obviously Z at that time was top of the world. They won ISCs in 95, won nationals in 95. He had just uh, finished his unbelievable run, uh, Sioux City at the ISCs, I think 10 games in a row. That yeah, that's right. yep. uh, so I think just to be in the mix with those guys, to be able to watch them. Um, and then to have my name on the stat sheet next to it was, uh, was kind of a cool experience. For me. Right. 
so the next two years, you must have gained a lot of confidence going up, you know, like before 98, like you must have gained a lot of confidence over those next two years at, at nationals. Did you? Yeah, I would say so. Um, I, I wouldn't say that it was uh, it just a, a, a huge step from one year to the next. I think it was a series of small steps. Uh, I don't, wouldn't say that it was uh, maybe as pivotal as the 95 season where right. it really went from playing sort of junior Canada games level to really you know, kind of taking a step to senior ball. Uh, but uh, 96, we opened up the very first night of nationals against uh, the Gators. And uh, it was Zach starting for the Gators, and I started for Halifax or for Keese. And uh, that was the first time I ever went and played against them. I, I kind of joked around later on. I was visiting with a bunch of those Gator guys years later, and uh, I was talking about how excited I was that night. And they didn't have a clue. And I said, obviously, a lot more memorable for me than it was yeah. for you guys at that time. Yeah. But uh, but that was you know, just being able to step on the field. You get the nerves out of the way. You get that experience. Uh, I want to say we lost four nothing. Uh, so a competitive game uh, didn't get blown out by them, and you know, at that point in time, even a, a close loss uh, builds some confidence, and yeah. it gives you a little more confidence that you can compete with those guys if you if you put in the work someday, even beat those guys. Um, Ninety-seven was a little bit different. Uh, I I pretty much got a legal pitch out of every game at Nationals in Victoria that year. Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah. They were calling, uh, and at that time they were they kind of went from two feet on the rubber to one foot. I think over those couple of years before, but then they said it was one foot, but you couldn't hop, and yeah, I was just a I was a mess. I I think I maybe had uh, a total of seven eight innings throughout the entire week. Uh, pretty much every game I went into, I was I was out within an inning or two because of illegal pitches. So that was actually a, a pretty big setback and uh, quite frustrating for me. Yeah, yeah no doubt. Yeah. So in 98, you're with the Jags and you, you guys win the nationals in St. Croix. Talk about that feeling winning nationals so close to home. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, when I look back at everything I've been able to do in the sport, that's, that's right up there at the top, if not the top. Mm. Um, it was, uh, and part of it is obviously it's in Nova Scotia. It's an all Nova Scotia final. That was just incredible. Uh, yeah, some of the dynamics of the the maybe the the friction between the Keys and the Jaguars at that time, and some of the history that we had between the two teams. Uh, you know, great crowds um, and being able to pull off a win like that uh, was was incredible. Um, the other part that added a ton for me personally was '98. Beginning of the year was was again pretty rough. Um, at that point in time, they went back to two feet on the rubber for the pitching rule which didn't help me. Um, I was, I was always a, a leaper, always uh, being taller, trying to get a lot of leverage out of my legs. Uh, so I struggled and I want to say the first, uh, probably month of the year, I, I got knocked out of a lot of games. Um, I know a doubleheader against the Keys who are our big rivals at that time. And I just played for them for the last uh, two years and went to nationals with them three years in a row. Uh, they, they beat us handily, knocked me out of the game. Uh, we were at a tournament in Fredericton. I remember clearly, uh, and part of it is uh, I got married in 98, and my wife was really just getting to be around the ball field for the first time. And I got knocked out of back-to-back games in Fredericton, and I was uh, I was a nightmare to live with here for a week or so after that. <laughs> and she's like, I did not know I signed up for this. I didn't know yeah. that that's what this ball stuff was all about. So, uh, And I didn't take that well. If I got knocked out of a game, you know, I, I could handle that. I'd come back and 
Yeah. And I don't ever remember getting knocked out of back-to-back games. And I think I was out of the game second inning back-to-back games. Mm. Um, but then that entire summer, uh, George McIsaac uh, lived not too far from where we were living in Halifax uh, that summer. And we were, uh, you know, at that time playing a couple doubleheaders a week. And every night that we weren't playing, George and I got together and we were throwing a couple hundred pitches. Um, so you, know, you do that two, three times a week over the course of eight, 12 weeks. Uh, things really started to come yeah. together for me. Mechanics came together uh, and everything just started clicking. And, uh, and uh, Chris, I don't even remember this. We had the, uh, had the league final in Shubi that year. And uh, we ended up playing, I think, Summerside in the semifinal. And I came in relief in the sixth inning, and the game ended up going 13. So I threw probably seven or eight innings. Yeah. And we had to beat the Keiths twice in the final. I threw the first one. We beat them. Started the second one. I think I went five or six innings. And it ended up pitching probably 20 innings that day. <laughs> and and that worked in my favor. I was always the type of pitcher really throughout my career that the more I threw, the better I got. Yeah. Um, and then just getting all those innings in and then we you know, beat the keys twice that day, sort of got a little bit of momentum for the team, mm-hmm. um, and started rolling from there. Um, and that was really the turning point for me and for our team that year. And then going into nationals, I don't think anybody expected us to do a lot. I think we were probably ranked middle of the pack, uh, but, uh, things came together and, yeah. uh, yeah, incredible experience. Yeah, that was awesome. I could still remember watching that game. Oh, was, me too. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it was phenomenal. Barry hitting that home run, and, yeah. and then you, the you shut yeah. the door. Yeah, the beer tent was yeah. crazy. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was. I, I can picture that ball going out to the left field this day from you know, Barry. And yeah. Then uh, and I, it was it was weird, though. In in the game, it's 0-0. Zero, zero. Um, I used to go out, keep putting zeros up on the board. Yeah. You know, a lot of the nerves maybe early on. Uh, and when I got to the park that day, I thought the logical choice for Smitty would be to start Todd. I mean, Todd had just come off an ISC championship, uh, probably the best, one of the best pitchers in the world, if not the best pitcher in the world. At that point in time, I was nowhere close to that. And uh, and you'd think, start Todd. You'd, you know, you'd pretty much uh, give yourself the best opportunity to win a national championship that way. And, and we were warming up as a team, and I still thought, Todd was starting and given the fact that we're now approaching you know, a half hour, 45 minutes before game time. Uh, now I think Owen sound and the keys maybe went into extra innings. Our game went a little bit long. So our warm up was a little bit strange because you start early and it just kept dragging on. But I just assumed Todd was starting. And then Smitty uh, said, you've got the ball. And all of a sudden the, the emotions started to go and the nerves start to go. And now the good thing is I played probably, couple hundred ball games on that diamond. Um, I knew a lot of the people in the crowd yeah. knew the keys team, knew the hitters. So putting myself in a, a situation like that probably couldn't have been more comfortable. Now it wasn't comfortable, but I don't think it could have been more comfortable. That's right. Just right. the familiarity yeah. of the situation. Um, and as the game went on, it, it was starting to get more and more comfortable. And as soon as Barry hit that home run, it immediately goes from keep your team in this game to you're three outs away from a national championship. Yeah. And <laughs> And the nerves start going and everything. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, uh, you know, I still can picture the, how the last inning went. Uh, you know, we're, we're two outs and Dave McDonald hits a little dribbler up the middle. Um, I, if I remember correctly, I think that broke up the no hitter. Um, and then Tim McCumber, who was battling uh, a rib injury, yeah. just one to the opposite field. And all of a sudden they've got 
two outs and two runners on. Um, and then Lori Barron came up. Unfortunately, we, uh, we got him to strike out, but, uh, they definitely made it nerve wracking. Yeah, end. for sure, yeah. man. For sure. Uh, on a side note, S- Smitty probably had to go find Marty at the lower deck to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the safer bet would have been the Sheridan casino that week. Yeah. They, uh, they definitely loved some hours there. Yeah. And, and I was a little disappointed when Marty was on, he didn't share the story about, uh, call it Abbott, uh, kind of got his tables mixed up when he went to the bathroom and uh, he had left his <laughs> chips at the table and went to the bathroom and came back and uh, there was someone sitting or he thought someone sitting in his spot and he was basically ready to come to blows to <laughs> only find out that he was at the wrong table and Marty was behind him laughing his head Damn. Off. Uh, actually you know Thank what you. after after we were done Marty's interview he we yeah. would text him back and forth and Marty said <laughs> I wish you had brought up uh, Colin a bit more I have I could have did a whole episode on Colin Abbott story. So yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome. Randy, didn't Marty mention too about that, that final game and said, Smitty said something to him about the ball and, oh, right. and he said, why? Yeah. Why? <laughs> why give me the ball? <laughs> give it to me. Look yeah. what he's been doing. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So no, it was, it was, Cool. It was cool to be around Todd at that point oh. where you know, he was at the top of the game. He was doing the things I wanted to do. Mm. Uh, and, and really just, he was extremely complimentary of, uh, of everything I was doing. And, and yeah. with that, I think just getting sort of affirmation from a guy like Mark to give me the ball, a guy like Todd, you know, saying uh, things like that, it, it kind of gave me the confidence, I guess, to take sure, that next yes. step and to, to really give me the confidence I could complete uh, compete at that level. Yeah. Yeah. Now, would you say that was your coming out party as far as being put in the national team radar? Uh, I would say so. Yeah. Prior to that, I, I don't think I was on any kind of uh, 30 man roster, had never been invited to a camp or anything. So I would, I would say that definitely was the, yeah. the case where uh, prior to that, uh, you know, probably a guy to keep an eye on, but definitely not, uh, not someone that they were serious about. Yeah. Sure. So what do you remember about your first team Canada camp in 99? First camp in 99. Uh, I, remember, I remember just, uh, it was my first time, being in the same dugout as a lot of those guys and sharing the field with a lot of those guys. So, you know, you're, you're Darren Zacks and you're Dougie Chase and a lot of the veterans of the team. I think Chris Jones, Adam Smith, the guys like that who had been around the program for a long time. I played against them a few times by this point, uh, but you were never sort of shoulder to shoulder in the dugout and getting to know them on a more personal level. And I think, uh, you know, very intimidated early on. I was sort of the young, unproven guy. Um, and these guys who have accomplished so much of the game, just sort of getting to know them more on a, on a human personal level was, was pretty cool for me yeah. just to see they were normal guys, a lot of really good guys there. Um, I think also for me, just going into that camp, I, I was determined to make that team. Now the odds of me making that team were slim. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I look back on it now, probably almost no chance of making that team regardless how I performed. Uh, but at that time I had been, uh, going to school in, in outside of Manitou- or Winnipeg, uh, the Pan Am games were in Winnipeg. Uh, I was living there for the summer and then sort of traveling from the Winnipeg area, uh, playing with broken bow. So I was extremely determined to make that game and put in a ton of work, uh, had a really good week. I don't think I really gave up much as far as any kind of uh, hits or runs and probably had as good a week as I could have just pitching. Um, and then I remember getting the call from Terry Bader and he, you know, broke the news that I didn't make the team and, and he used, I don't remember his exact words, but it was something like kind of, obviously you didn't make it or, or something like it was a <laughs> foregone conclusion. I wasn't going to make it. And I was, I was so mad when I got off the phone with them and, and looking back, 
it was you know, obviously he didn't mean anything by it. Yeah. It was yeah. uh, you know really just a sort of a fact that I'm on my way, but I'm not there yet. And right. uh, you know, and for me, I think being so competitive, so determined to make that team, my thought was I'm going to make this. And, and to think that it was a foregone conclusion, I wouldn't was uh, like a little little frustrating and maddening, yeah. but uh, but also gave me motivation to, to continue to work at it. Sweet, right on. Now you mentioned Broken Bow. That was the that was your first year with them. You attended the ISC Worlds, where you were named your first All World team. Uh, how did joining Broken Bow come about? Yeah, it's uh, it's funny. I I remember coming home one night after a round of golf, and my wife, uh, she said, some guy named Doc from Nebraska called. <laughs> and at that time, I had no idea who Broken Bow. I you know, and coming from Nova Scotia, I'm, you know, I'm not used to people being called Doc. I Me, mean, that's you know, <laughs> kind of a nickname from a movie or something. So, the whole thing just seemed to kind of whatever. Uh, and then ended up getting on the phone with them. And uh, at that point in time, I was actually uh, had committed to to Smitty and, uh, and Gordy Rudolph to come back and play with the Jags if they had a team. They were still trying to figure out what they were going to do. And I want to say it was probably September, so shortly after the season. And then um, you know, kind of listened to what Doc had to say, um, called Smitty as well, and uh, just kind of asked his opinion really on, on fit. You know, is this a place I'm going to get a chance to play? Am I going to get to play against good competition? How does this fit in with everything else I wanted to do with uh, returning to the Jags? And can we find some sort of solution that I can maybe play ISCs with Broken Bow and a few tournaments? Um, and then as it turned out, um, kind of came to an arrangement where we could get something to work. And then at that point, uh, you know, the Jaguars decided they were not going to go for 99 and uh, turned into a full year commitment with those guys. And it was, it was incredible. Um, at that time, we started the first weekend in May and maybe had two weekends off until the ISCs in the middle of, middle of August. Uh, so you're, you're traveling. Uh, I think my first tournament was in Tucson, Arizona. Um, so at that point in time, hadn't done a lot of traveling. So, yeah. you know, going from not a lot of traveling to you're on a plane every weekend, traveling all over U.S. and Canada um, for basically 10, 12 weekends out of the year. And, uh, the level of competition we faced, we were seeing the Farm Tavern every weekend or every other weekend. Uh, Decatur, uh, they were a top team at that time, seeing those guys all the time. Um, and that was just, uh, definitely raised my game from uh, kind of what had happened at nationals in 98 to a point where I had to consistently learn how to play at that level. And, yeah. and just doing that for one week wasn't enough. You had to do a weekend week out for mm-hmm. three, four months in a row. Yeah. Well, the fact you, geez, the fact you get to play the farm or Decatur every other weekend, that is just unreal for like development for you. Like <laughs> it is, yeah. it is. Yeah. Uh, on one end, that's exactly what you want, but I will, will be honest. There were a few weekends where I wish they weren't there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. A few weekends where I took my lumps. I, you know, I clearly remember getting mercyed by the farm and Kimberly that year, mm. uh, you know, ended up getting knocked out of a few games and, um, and it wasn't great. It was kind of humbling because you're playing on a, on a team. You know, Mike Pietnik is my, my, the other pitcher on the team. So I'm playing beside him and, and he was, experience and he really didn't have the ups and downs that I did, but uh, mm-hmm. definitely had some struggles uh, making the adjustment um, and uh, definitely definitely a humbling summer, but yeah. the way everything concluded with going to my first ISCs, maybe really the year before, uh, just 
kind of watching the results on Alice fastball at that time and mm-hmm. really knew nothing about the tournament other than something I wanted to do someday. Um, and then going from that to, uh, being able to pitch in the finals was, uh, pretty, uh, pretty incredible experience to make that jump. Yeah. So that, that you were still in the, that was still the double knockout in 99. Was it not? It was, yeah. yeah. I think it was a 40, 48 team double knockout. Um, so we ended up uh, in the winner's bracket final against the farm. Uh, Marty uh, had uh, some groin issues that summer. Uh, so it was Paul Algar was really the the only arm. I think Jody Henniger would have been able to pitch, but without a barrier rules by the ISC, they had to declare either Jody or Marty as eligible to pitch for them. Oh, yeah. um, and they declared Marty and then he got injured right away. So it was really Paul Algar was all they had and he threw lights out that week and beat us in the winner's bracket final. Um, I still remember coming into that game. Uh, I think it was a tie game somewhere around the fourth inning. And I don't think I'd ever been so nervous in my life. It was, uh, it was definitely a, sort of a nerve wracking experience. Uh, threw a lot of balls, uh, walked batters, and we ended up losing, I think, by, by one run. Uh, but uh, but it, in some games, you feel like you got beat by the better team. And, and on that night, we probably did. But at the same time, I felt like I... I really didn't give it my best effort and, and started getting away from the stuff that had made me successful and gotten me to that point and started doing yeah, different things that, uh, you know, I, I, I tried to throw the ball by a lot of those guys really isn't going to work. No. Not focusing on hitting spots, not working counts. Just all those things that, that I'd worked on to get to a place where I could be successful. And then you start moving away from it and uh, had to do a quick reality check because uh, we came back to play Decatur the next morning and I ended up throwing that game and winning. And then we got into the final uh, against the farm and we had to beat him twice and Pietnik started. Um, and then I think I came in again, somewhere middle of the game and had a much better outing that time against them. And we still came up a runner too short, but, uh, but to, you know, to go to my first ISC, I was, I was thinking, you know, top 10 is probably great experience. And here we are in the final. Yeah, really. That would have been amazing. It's huge. Yeah. So that, like yeah. losing, like you lost in your first two, in the finals in your first two years at the ISCs. Do you, do you think that helped to set the stage for 2001? Yeah. Yeah, it did. Um, you, you start to get a little, or I started to get a little paranoid. You start thinking Buffalo bills, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah, you start yeah. to think here, here we go. And then we're going to do this a third and a fourth time. Um, and, uh, you know, 2001 out of all the ISCs, uh, that we won, uh, and I don't mean this lightly, but it was probably the easiest one and not easy because the competition wasn't good. It was easy in the sense that things just really fell into place for us as a team. We were rolling. We really didn't face a lot of adversity offensively and defensively. We were playing outstanding. Uh, we got production from the bottom half of our lineup from guys that, you know, really were not household names in, in softball at that time. Mm. Um, and we, we just cruised through every game. I think we had one, uh, that was the year they changed to the pool play. We had one round robin game against, uh, I think it was Edmonton and Colin McKenzie was thrown for them. And I think we lost or won that one for nothing. Right. And that was our closest game probably the whole week. Uh, I remember playing uh, the farm. I think the final was maybe seven, one if I remember correctly. Uh, so it just really was you know pretty, pretty good experience. But, your point the fact that as a core team we had all been through a couple of losses uh we you know, the year before we had added schweier uh ryan wolf boxy um now I, I think just sort of the addition of some of those core guys 
uh, as well as the experiences of being to the final a couple of times, probably a lot fewer nerves and really just an expectation that we were going to win um, really made the difference that year. Yeah. Well, I mean, you won a most outstanding pitcher and, you know, to take that, to go along with winning the, winning the whole thing. I mean, that, that must've been an incredible feeling. Yeah, it was. Um, I think that looking back on it, obviously one of um, kind of how I'd rank it up there with the 98 uh, national championship in Nova Scotia, all Nova Scotia finals, uh, and then 2001 winning my first ISC. Uh, but what was really cool about that one is on our team, I think Jared Martin had won an ISC with the farm uh, a few years earlier. But other than that, nobody on our team had won an ISC. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, and our, our average age was probably late 20s, uh, maybe 30. In fact, we had Ron Head at that time, who I think was 40 years old. He brought the average age up a lot. But <laughs> otherwise, it was, it was, like I said, it was Boxy, Schweier, Wolfie, uh, Rob Keysbrick myself. Uh, now all of us were younger guys. Jared was maybe uh, you know, late twenties at the most Thomas Machia again, mid twenties. So a lot of us uh, who really were kind of up and coming and really hadn't won anything uh, being able to win that. Uh, I think before that one uh, doc had, he had never won. Uh, he had obviously the two runners up the prior years. And before that, maybe a top five was the best he had ever done. And he had been at the game and been to the ICs for I don't know exactly, but probably 20 years mm. uh, as a player and then as a sponsor and a coach. So for uh, for Doc to win his first one, um, I think that made it even more special. Yeah. Looking back now, obviously that the you know the, the personal awards and stuff are cool, but but at that time it was probably just all of us getting our first ISC together was was pretty cool experience. Yeah. Right on. How does it rank up with the 1999 Intermediate E basketball provincials that you and I attended together in Middleton? <laughs> <laughs> did I? I don't think I played. Did I, did I play? A, we played. So, we played somewhere. I don't even remember what it was. But, yeah. I do remember being in Middleton. And yeah, funny story. I don't think it was '99 because what year? So my daughter Taylor and your twins, I think, are the same age. I think they're both born in 2001. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So, I, so it would have been the basketball provincials in Middleton in 2001. It was. That's uh, I don't right. know if you know this. I knew that. Your wife was pregnant with your twins before you did. Yeah. (laughs) Well, she told me you might have been the father, so I was a little confused. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I wouldn't go that far. (laughs) I can can clearly say that is not the case, but uh, we were on the stage and uh, she came out and announced it, uh, not publicly, but I think to your mother at the time, (laughs) it it didn't stay quiet very long. And so everybody who was there watching uh, knew before you did. Yeah, that's crazy. (laughs) That's a great little story right there. (laughs) So anyway, uh, 2003 and 2004, you win her again, and as well as most outstanding pitcher, like it's second nature at this point. Uh, any big memories that stand out from either of those two title wins? Yeah, yeah, I would say, I mean, a couple of things. Uh, in 2003, the Broken Boat Traveler team combined with the New York Spirit to become the Broken Boat Spirit. So we were a, a different team than we were in 2001 and 2002. I really, since I had joined the team, so 99 through 02, I was a traveler. So this was the same core group of guys, but we had a, a pretty big turnover at that point in time, uh, going from 2002 to 2003. Um, so that, that stood out as just a different team, different dynamics. Um, but, uh, and that was really when we, uh, the, the county, uh, County materials team 
uh, that everybody knew for many years. That that was, I would say, the start of them becoming, you know, kind of world class and really loading up. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we beat them uh, in the winners bracket final, and then we came back and beat them in the final. Uh, and, and I think that stands out for me just the the depth of talent they had on that team from top to bottom uh, was just incredible. Uh, and you had Z pitching for them. Uh, so I think, you know, and no disrespect to any of the teams we played in prior years, but I, it just felt like that was the first time we were up against one of these elite teams that had no holes in the lineup, really top to bottom. Uh, defensively, we're, we're outstanding. And it just was, uh, I think, you know, a great accomplishment for us to be able to do that. We, we didn't, uh, we weren't overly successful against them throughout the regular season and most of the tournaments we went to, uh, County got the better of us. And I would say that was the case really for the, both 2003 and 2004. Uh, but to be able to come up and, and beat them in the winner's bracket final and finals two years in a row, uh, just, I don't think anybody would have guessed that. You ask me, I would have told you, yeah, we're going to beat them. But deep down, I, I had probably had some doubts that we'd be able to accomplish that. Sure. But yeah. uh, just the fact that as a team, we were able to pull off uh, you know, four wins like that in winner's bracket finals and finals, you know, doing that two years in a row was uh, was pretty remarkable. That's amazing. Right on. Now, I wanted to touch on the 2004 ISFs in uh, New Zealand. The semifinal game against Australia, you go head-to-head with a – little 19 year old named Andrew Kirkpatrick. <laughs> what, what was your impression yeah. of, uh, of, of him back then? I, you know, I, I really don't have a lot of memories. I, I, I have watched some clips. I don't think I've ever watched the full game mm. and going back and being able to sort of refresh my memory. Uh, but at the time, uh, to be completely honest, I, I don't remember really any of their hitters. I don't remember anything. It was everything in that semifinal was all about New Zealand. It's just get right. back to New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, no disrespect to the Australian team, uh, but we were so focused on New Zealand. that I just felt like it was my job to go up, put up some zeros, no matter who we were facing and give us a chance to, to win. And then when we got up by a few early, I think we had a three nothing lead before I even started the game. Yeah. Uh, so at that point in time, I'm, I'm not thinking too much about, you know, being impressed by these guys. It was much more about how do we just get this game, finish yeah. it early, get back to our ultimate goal and get back to New Zealand. Yeah. Uh, now in hindsight, I look back and it was the first time I had ever, uh, I you know, saw uh, Michael Tanner, uh, Kirkpatrick, Zen and winners, Gulagong, all these guys that ended up playing against, um, for a number of years, uh, obviously very young, very talented players. Uh, but at that point in time, I really probably didn't appreciate uh, what they were doing yeah. mm-hmm. uh, as we were just so focused on our ultimate goal. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about that finals against New Zealand and we, like we talked to Dino about it and stuff, a uh, little, little controversy in that, in that finals, wasn't there? Well, um, so there was controversy in that final. Um, so we cleared the benches against them the night before. And so uh, it's kind of funny hearing Dino's version of that. All I remember is Dino, you know, bench is cleared. <laughs> Typical softball fashion. Everybody comes together. They start yapping. And Dino go, does an end around. He ends up like kind of sneaking around the backside to get to the pitcher. Because obviously the whole team jumps in front of the pitcher. And he just quietly goes around the backside to try and get to him. And <laughs> I think that's when Donna Hale jumped on his back. But uh, you know, obviously there was, uh, you know, it was... Even though we were teammates with a lot of those guys, uh, yeah. you know, with Broken Bow, and you know, other guys were teammates on different teams, uh, a lot of good friends there. Uh, but when 
you put the, the you put your country's colors on mm-hmm. and you come head to head like that and and then there starts to you know boxy gets drilled in the head um you know uh, there was a bit of a, a dust up at third base with jody Yite and brad rona uh, all those things it's uh you know, things got heated and, and that definitely made that final uh i would say even more intense uh it, it could be more intense than playing for a world championship yeah what, was there something about sign stealing in that in that finals <laughs> So yes, there was. Um, do, you, do you now, need your lawyer present for this? Yeah, do, yeah, do you need a lawyer? <laughs> There's a big hesitation there. Because <laughs> we have the facts. <laughs> you do. I would love to know the facts because I don't think anybody else in this world has the facts. It's uh, I think just speculation. Yeah. Yeah. There was uh, a camera in center field uh, that, uh, and I've talked personally to a couple people who are in center field and saw the camera, you know, zoomed in. I don't think that's odd i think that that's normal to sort of zoom in on pitcher catcher especially as you're getting footage for the next game uh given it was the final and there were no additional games it seems a little odd yeah. um but uh no still I, that's that's about all i know i think that an isf representative went and shut the camera down in the i want to say the fifth inning something like that mm-hmm. um so, uh, obviously, you you lose like uh, you lose. You're 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 upset, and um, there were a, a lot of people probably made a lot of uh, you know, assumptions as to what was going on. Yeah, I I don't know what was going on, and, and to be completely honest, I, I don't care um, I at this point in time. Or but uh, but definitely added a different dynamic to the loss. Um, and really, to this day. Uh, whenever I think about that game, all I ever think about, it's never about any of that controversy. It's for me, it's always, I had a three, nothing lead in a world championship and I lost it. Yeah. Um, And it just shouldn't happen at that, at that point where I was at, uh, you know, I just held myself to a standard. And when I think of all those guys were counting on me to hold a three, nothing lead, um, just shouldn't have happened, but uh, you no, know, it, it did. And you know, tip your hats to the New Zealand team, uh, great hitters, great team, and they, they accomplished a lot. Not only that year, but over the span of several years uh, before and after. Uh, so you just got to tip your hats to them. But uh, when I when I think back on sort of regrets or do overs, that is by far top of the list. Yeah, it's tough, tough for sure. I did want a little side note on you know stealing signs and stuff, and this goes back to I don't know if you remember Pibby uh, Musi. Uh, yeah. Don Henderson. Oh, yeah. yeah. So anyway, Pibby was, uh, he got kicked out of our game in Brookfield. Uh, he pushed the umpire, Don Harvey, who was like 192 years old. <laughs> and anyway, he got kicked out. So <laughs> the, the next doubleheader we had, we're playing in Brookfield. And I can't remember who we're playing, but Pibby sat in the back of his truck out behind the fence like they all do. And he had a telescope. <laughs> And he was, he was zoomed in on the catcher signals and he would put his hand up in the air for a rise ball and his arm down for a drop ball. <laughs> what? That's a true goddamn story. I never knew that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the fact that he was stealing signs is bad, but the fact that he pushed a 192 year old man is even worse. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's oh, wow. Yeah. Suck it, baby. When was that? Was that when, when I was still playing there? Or was this later? Uh, it would have been later. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been later okay. for sure. Yeah. That's hilarious. Oh. <laughs> So 2006, 2007, you're, uh, you're again named to the ISC all world team this time with the Patsy's based out of New York. Uh, was that a change of scenery or or was it teams combining at that point? Yeah, it was, uh, it's at that point in time, doc had, uh, had decided that he wasn't going to be able to field the team, um, on his own. Uh, Bob quick, who was a sponsor of the spirit, uh, and him, 
don't know the circumstances. They decided to part ways. And uh, so Doc, I think, wanted to kind of still be involved in the game. And at that time, Phil Rogers, who uh, was a sponsor for Patsy's, uh, I think he really got a taste uh, for the game. I think they had, at that point had gone to one, maybe two IFCs. He really wanted to kind of take his program to the next level. And uh, I think he saw Doc as, uh, as a very valuable asset to be able to help boost the level of their team. Uh, with that, uh, myself, Omar Moraga, I don't think there's anybody else, uh, but, but the two of us went with Doc uh, to Patsy's. So it, was, uh, it wasn't really a change of scenery as much as Doc not fielding a team and then myself right. and Omar went uh, with him to Patsy's. Right. So would, would Patsy's pretty much be what the New York Gremlins are now? Or is that totally, totally different? Well, when you think of uh, the way the team was run and sponsors and everything, it was totally different. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. It was, it was, I almost feel guilty. It's an unreal experience, really. I I never knew that a person could get sick of filet mignon and lobster every night. Uh, (laughs) Like it was just, it was just, it it was insane. It was, I mean, every night it was team dinners. You got off the field at 12, Phil would, uh, he'd, pay a restaurant a couple thousand dollars to stay open late for us. And it was, it was just an unreal experience. Any, anybody who wanted to travel at any time with the team, you're more than welcome to. Uh, At that time was back when it was still Northwest airlines. Uh, My, my kids at that time were, uh, they were, four and uh, four and three or something like that. They were silver elite on Northwest airlines because they were <laughs> flying every weekend. And, uh, and most of the other people in first class didn't appreciate that a whole lot, but, uh, but I didn't mind it. Screw them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so from that perspective, you know, off the field was just, a, it was just a different program. Um, now Phil loved the sport. Uh, he loved, I think just as much as the on-field competition, he just loved the people and the family, uh, coming around and you know, doing deals together and then spending time together. And, and that was his thing. And, uh, so very cool experience. Um, uh, as far as on the field, I would say we were, uh, we were very talented, uh, but it wasn't, uh, quite the same as what you'd see with the gremlins now, where I think Greg Leather does a, a fantastic job of yeah. being a student of the game, yeah. uh, being able to have to, uh, just really good. Uh, and being able to coach with him now. I think we've, we think very similar about, being very strategic uh, about the game, and um, and I would say we didn't have as much of that uh, with uh, with Patsy's. I think it was very talented, but we maybe didn't have quite the same strategy that uh, that you'd see with uh, the Gremlins today. Right on. Right. Now I want to jump onto the U.S. Men's National Program. When when was it you joined them? Uh, so the first time I played with them was in 2013. Um, the worlds were in Auckland in 2013. Um, and that was the first time I I played an event with them. Um, there was, uh, uh, in 2009, I got my citizenship and they had asked me to play. Uh, but at that time I had gone to a team Canada camp, uh, in 2007 or something like that. Um, and so I was still part of that program and had attended a team Canada, um, event within a few years prior. So team Canada would have to give me my release, uh, in order to do that. So I wasn't able to play in 2009. Um, and then there really wasn't another event until 2013. Uh, so that was the first time I played before. Right. Did you get any resin from any of the Canadian teammates? You know, in general, uh, it was it was pretty calm. Um, you know, maybe got a little bit, little bit here and there. Little uh, jabs, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, a little jazz, but all all good natures, uh, as far as I understand, all good natured, but uh, no hard feelings from, uh, from oh, anyone God. that I know yeah. of. For sure. So you talked about the 2013 ISFs. Uh, is the mindset a bit different going into a tournament of that magnitude when you're when you're not on one of those perennial powerhouse teams, or did you approach it the same? Yeah, so so I would probably even back up a couple of years before that. Um, it was after 2009 season. I I struggled um, somewhat. Um, it wasn't uh, as far as club ball. It was probably my worst year personally. As far as just playing, probably had one of my least enjoyable years. Um, so on that front, and then there was everything with not being able to play in the ISF. That was obviously hard hard to swallow. Um, and then on the personal side, I now have uh, a couple of kids, uh, started to take on a, a ton of responsibility at work. And I was very close to stepping away from the game uh, after the 2009 season and, and really had kind of decided I was done playing. I uh, just couldn't do the travel and the time commitment and, and thought you know, as competitive as I was on the ball field, sort of had the same level of competition and passion sort of from the business uh, environment that, that I work in and um, was just wanting to spend more time sort of on, on family and, and, and work. Um, and then uh, Kegel, um, who's from Fargo, uh, they were you know, asking me to play, uh, said everything's driving distance with the exception of maybe, you know, ASAs, uh, you know, family can come whenever they want. It's going to be six weekends. And, and it just ended up being a good fit for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, as far as kind of taking a step back, 2010, between 9 and 10, that, that season is when I, I really sort of took a step back from the game and didn't uh, didn't travel as much, didn't compete as much, didn't prepare as much and train as much in the off season. Uh, so going into 2013, I tried to ratchet it up. But when, when you just really haven't played a competitive schedule for a few years, uh, it was it was difficult to, to really prepare and be in the same shape. Uh, now, the desire to win was just as strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, the desire to compete out on the field was just as strong. Uh, but but your point, when you're on a team that's not one of the, the top three, four teams in the world, uh, and it's going to be a struggle to, to be able to even medal, uh, it definitely does have a different feel. But uh, but I would say it was, it was more than just that event or the team. It was sort of personal circumstances leading up to it as well. Right, right. So now you're, you're a pitching coach with Team USA. How, how did that all come about? Yeah. So in 2015, um, I played the, uh, the world championships in Saskatoon with the U S team, as well as the Pan Am games. And at that time it was Denny Bruckert and then Greg leather was, uh, was the assistant coach and, uh, Greg and I hit it off. I, I think we just had very similar, uh, male kind of thoughts on, on the game and how the game should be played. And, you know, both sort of more analytical and strategic and, um, just some of the stuff that I wanted to implement and then tried to implement even as a player at that time with scouting and scouting reports and things were very much the way he approached the game as well. So after I finished playing in 2015, uh, then we were leading up to the 2019 Pan Ams in Peru. Uh, he had asked me, uh, sort of 2018 timeframe, if I'd be interested in coming on, uh, being pitching coach and sort of leading a lot of the, uh, you know, scouting and more of the, the video analysis type stuff. Uh, so, uh, it was, again, it was a little difficult because there was the world championships in Prague and then the 
uh, then Peru back to back, um, and just with work commitments and everything, I wasn't able to make both events. So, uh, decided I was going to go to the, uh, I was going to go to Peru, um, and then would do a lot of scouting and analysis and, uh, pitcher catcher prep. I would just do it remotely from home, um, just video conference. Um, so it all worked out well and, um, definitely, definitely would different experience than pitching sometimes mm. there's still the urge instead of trying to work with uh, with the guys explain situations are, like yeah. just give me the ball let me yeah. i can do this still but yeah and then the reality would sink in after i threw three pitches that i couldn't do it anymore but <laughs> uh, but it, it was just it was different and then also coaching handful of players that i played with uh just going from a sort of a, a teammate to a coach uh, relationship it wasn't didn't cause problems but it's just difficult and maybe it was more of an issue for me than it was for them uh and probably with tony mancha in particular where you know, we were we were pitchers together and uh you know would when you're competing as teammates very different for me to kind of come in and, and talk anything yeah. you know mm-hmm. mechanic strategy it's just a different dynamic and and it, again it's nothing on tony that he's a, a great teammate great pitcher but uh but probably i'm more on my end just was was different to try and make the transition to have those type of relationships right yeah yeah, yeah. that's that's pretty cool perspective there it's yeah. awesome it's yeah. awesome that you're still involved with it too yeah it's, it's fantastic yeah yeah trying to um and trying to uh both on the ASA side or USA softball, as well as ISC side, just trying to uh, partner together with both organizations yeah. to try and uh, you know, promote, uh, especially sort of the pitching development uh, there in, in the U S and I would assume in other places in the world as well. Uh, it's just difficult to get guys pitching at a young age yeah. and, uh, and, and how do we give some tools to be able to reach a, a larger number of guys, give them the opportunity to develop skills and, and uh, I'm a big believer that the game is going to be as healthy as your pitching base is. And if you have pitchers, enough pitchers, quality pitchers, uh, you'll be able to field teams. Um, yeah. I could be wrong, but th- that's kind of the, the theory I'm operating under. So just trying to you know, be part of it with those organizations to get some tools to help train up young pitchers. Right. You know, what's funny is uh, <laughs> no word of a lie. My phone's in front of me as it is with everybody because I'm young. <laughs> Whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a little uh, thing popped up on my phone, YouTube, just right now, ISC Pitching Fundamentals, episode six, seven minutes ago, and it's a picture of Gerald Mazur. <laughs> no world lie. Uh, I just popped up on my phone. Buddy, That's funny. crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. So are, are you doing a, you're doing a pitching, uh, like a pitching clinic? So... It's interesting the the way that I unfolded it. I may have never agreed to it because I'm not a big fan of being on in front of the camera. But uh, <laughs> they, they asked if I'd come down to uh, Florida last January for uh, the the uh, winter tournament that they've hosted. Yeah, and asked if I'd put on pitching clinics. I said, yeah, no problem. Happy to do that. Um, and uh, it was sort of co-led by USA Softball and the ISC. I get there and they have all the cameras and microphones set up and they're like, yeah, we're going to record this. Bow, chicka, bow, bow. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, it, it, you know, I think it worked out well. Um, you know, I, I think there are some things that we could do better as far as uh, right now, I think they're doing the best they can with the, the technology and the resources. But yeah. a lot of times what we're seeing in those videos is guys who are early on and are, uh, have some uh, mechanical issues that we're trying to fix, which is helpful. I think it would be 
very helpful to show someone like an Adam Fulker or someone who's at the top of the game that can demonstrate what good looks like and to be able to break apart those mechanics to also see not just, Hey, you're, you know, you're baiting off towards first base. Your stride isn't quite where it needs to be. It's, this is what good looks like. And these are the things that, you know, every good pitcher uh, has, has always done. Now there are different ways of uh, sort of their own style or um, of pitching, but every pitcher gets to the same position, sort of in the K position at the top and being able to get someone like an Adam Fulker to sort of help promote what good looks like. And then also I think just the sheer, uh, seeing him throw it as hard as he does. And um, that might be a good way to to promote it a little bit in addition to providing some instruction. uh, We'll see where it goes over time. It's still good. It's still good for the young guys. I know like, uh, well, you know, Darcy Campbell, of course, Darcy says hi, by the way, Yeah, he's young fellow. Ty is a pitcher. He's 14 and uh, he follows that stuff on YouTube as well. So that's good. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Oh yeah. I know Darcy. Well, we won a provincial basketball championship. That's right. Back in yeah. 1976. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I want to talk about the, uh, ISE hall of fame last year. First of all, congrats on being yeah, inducted. Uh, that must have been, that must have been an incredible honor. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the best way for me to describe it is when I was playing, I was, always focused on the accomplishments. I was always focused on what do we need to do to win and probably didn't enjoy the journey as much. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I know some guys who enjoyed the journey too much, but uh, you know, for me, it was always about how do we, how do we win? How do we win? How do we win? And then really, you know, once you do win, it's how do we win again? And I think that with the, with the induction into the hall of fame, obviously a great honor. You start to look back and see other guys who've been inducted. You, you start to remember and get messages from the guys you played with. Um, and I think it, it helps sort of maybe remember the journey a little bit more and, and how much fun it was and how many great friendships you've created over the years. And, uh, you know, you never set out to try and get to a hall of fame. I, I just set out to try and win ball games. And, um, over the course of a number of years, had a lot of great people come around side, uh, beside me to, uh, provide uh, opportunities to play at the highest level. And, uh, I think this is a, of a cool opportunity for me to get to reflect on that and guys like uh like mark smith obviously early on with the opportunities and uh, support he gave i think of you know doc simmons with broken bow for many years being able to play in six isc finals in a row yeah uh, with his team because of the opportunities he gave me uh, you know a lot of the teammates i played with uh yeah just kind of cool to, to reflect back on those things and it's i think it's more about that uh, and then when you start looking at the past Hall of Fame, yeah, Hall of Fame inductees, and start to see like you know your name's going to be beside these guys, and um, you know guys that I looked up to back to that list in '95 with your your Zachs and Hennigers and oh, Nicks and everything. Like to have your name beside those, it's uh, pretty humbling, but pretty cool at the same yeah, time. Absolutely, for sure, man. Speaking of reflecting, you you've listened to the podcast. This is where we go into our player association. I'll I'll throw it a name, and uh, you can do your little spiel on them. So, All right. Sounds good. Uh, I'm going to start off with uh, Robin Eisner. Robin Eisner. Uh, when I uh, when I think of Robin, I, I think of uh, a guy that you know through really through all of our minor ball years. He he was 
always the difference maker on the field. Um, now I can remember back playing for Chevy and Meyer ball and it was Robin playing for Dutch settlement and Ryan pitching and, and Robin was just, you know, the, the bat you feared, um, was always rock solid. You just, you know, always knew that it was going to be tough, uh, to beat any team that Robin was playing uh, for. And then as I got to play with them on rep teams in East Hans, um, and then Canada games, um, you know, just one of those uh, catchers that made every pitcher better. Uh, and just remember getting extremely comfortable throwing to him and knowing that, uh, you know, really, really didn't need to shake off signs, just trusted his game calling, uh, trusted his ability to receive the ball in any situation. And, uh, yeah, and then later on playing against him uh, was, was just a guy that I always, uh, you know, feared even, uh, as a hitter with uh, with the Mastodons in uh, yeah. sort of the late '90s, he was a guy that uh, that you never wanted to take for granted and could always make a difference in a game. Right. Uh, you know that that as a player, uh, as a person, he was always a natural leader. Uh, he was the uh, the flag bearer for all of the Nova Scotia team at the Canada Games in '93, and, and I think that's just when you think of an honor like that. Yes, you need to have skill on the diamond, uh, but you have to have sort of leadership qualities and and things off of the field. Um, and he absolutely possessed all of those things. And then just to see what he's even doing in the community still to this day. And I'm not obviously as close to it as you guys are, but uh, constantly seeing things where he's uh, given back in the sports community and continues to be involved. So it doesn't surprise me at all. It's just kind of the leader he was really from a young age. Yeah. I have the luxury of working with Robin quite a bit over the summer because uh, we both take care of the ball field. Well, he does mostly, but I do help. And um, he's up there every day mowing the grass, getting the infield ready for anything. And he's still involved yeah. in, on the backside with minor ball. And of course, he's with uh, Canada Games teams as well. So he's he's a beauty. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. Yeah, he is. Great. Great for the community. Great for the game. Yeah, for yeah, sure. For sure. Uh, next one on the list is uh, Darren Box. Darren Box. Boxy. Oh, when I think back to the show that he put on in 2001, uh, the first IFC we won, he was, he was incredible. Um, you know, the, the, just the power that he had, the athleticism he had uh, for being six, four, six, five, probably 230 pounds. Just a, a monster of a man was pretty agile behind the plate. Uh, was quick on the base pass, had an arm. He's he a complete player. And then just to think back, that's when I, when I think of box, I think back to that 2001 ISC and was just an incredible uh, athlete and player at that time. And obviously getting to play with him for a number of years, uh, you know, just a good friend and always cool to catch up with him. Uh, he always seems to show up around the ballpark every couple of years. We'll bump into each other and uh, nice. still just a, a good friend to this day. That's good. Awesome. Uh, next one on the list is Jared Martin. Jazza. Oh, yeah, he, he's one of those guys as a, as a player. Uh, you know, there's some guys you just look at and you say, you know, or, or just watch them play and uh, they just stand out. And, and Jazz would accomplish so much, but he wasn't the guy that everybody you know, would turn heads and was just the spectacular athlete. It was just constant. Every day he was hitting two, three hits. Every day driving in runs. Uh, he just was just probably the most, uh, I don't want to say complete, but probably the most consistent player that I'd ever played with. Incredibly smart uh, student of the game. Uh, it, it was, he never, he never needed really a lot of coaching. It was at first base. Can't count the number of times you just pick up the ball, turn, 
on a bunt throw at the second base, get the lead runner without any help. He just knew he had instincts may have not been the quickest guy, but I don't know if I've seen anybody take more extra bases on the base paths. Um, so just all around, uh, you know, fantastic player uh, as a person about same thing, just a, a great guy, great teammate, relatively quiet, but uh, a great leader. And he was not afraid to call out guys and hold them accountable when they weren't pulling their weight or when they were uh, you know, goofing around or whatever, um, or staying up too late before a big game. Uh, he, he really didn't have an issue calling guys out. And uh, even though he wasn't extremely vocal, was probably one of the, the biggest leaders on those broken boat teams uh, that I played with early on. Awesome. Uh, next one is Robbie Giesbrook. Geezer. Yeah, Geezer's, again, one of those guys that uh, a good friend of mine to this day, uh, still go golfing with him every year. We do a golf trip uh, to the Minnesota area. Um, Just a lifelong friend uh, with him. As a player, um, I think early on, a lot of uh, of guys had uh, had, uh, big expectations for him. And uh, he, uh, I think he was drafted by the Twins, went to the Twins minor program for a while. And then he uh, then sort of came back to softball. And uh, it was actually in uh, 99, I was uh, playing with Bo and uh, and was living in the Winnipeg area. And he's from Southern Manitoba. And I would be good friends and played a little bit of ball together. And uh, kind of, I, I approached him and said, you know, any, any interest in playing for, for Bo next year? And, um, and then went to Doc and sort of played my case for him. And, and Doc's always skeptical of players wanting to you know, bring friends onto the team. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then we played an exhibition game. I, I did played with a, a Winnipeg team against the U.S. national team leading up to the 99 Pan Ams. And uh, our third baseman from Bo was on that U.S. team, Anthony Farinacci. And uh, we played them, and I think Geezer hit a couple home runs, about four or five hits that night. Was probably the best player on the field. Uh, including the U.S. guys, and uh, and Anthony vouched for me and uh, sort of said to Doc, this guy can play, and uh, he joined us uh, the next year in, in 2000, and uh, man, it was just a, a great asset to that team. One of those guys, again, that's a, a student of the game. Uh, he, he finds a way to win. He uh, he always uh, is always looking for an edge, um, always looking for opportunities to you know take away an extra base from a guy. Um, and when you think of you know, kind of clutch performances, guys who can really step up from um, from you know, sort of regular season to key situations, Geezer's a guy that always got the job done in a big situation. Right on. Wasn't there in 2003, but uh, but Pan Ans 2003. Everything I've heard is that uh, he, he was clutch in the the gold medal game and really was a big part of the reason why Canada won gold that year. Right on. Uh, my last one you touched on a little bit is Doc Simmons. Doc, um, yeah, what can I say about Doc? He, he's a, uh, he's one of those managers, players either love playing for or hated it. Uh, he, he expected a ton out of his players and he was going to run his team uh, very professionally. Uh, it was going to be professional schedule. It was going to be professional travel. You come to the, park as a team you know, everything is very well organized uh, you know he just expected a lot and uh, most of all he expected that we were going to win and uh, man he was going to do what it took to win and he was going to do what it uh, took to prepare his team to be able to be successful on the last day of ISCs and then that was the perfect environment for me I really kind of went along very well with the way I 
approach the game and then the way I wanted to play it. Uh, some guys uh, struggle with the structure and, and how rigid he was. Uh, you know, one funny example, ball pants had to be tight around the calf. Couldn't have baggy pants, had to be tight around the calf. <laughs> and uh, you know, it was just one of his little things. That's the way he expected guys to look and the way he expected them to play. And I was fine with that um, and ended up being uh, you know, incredibly successful um, my time with Doc because of, uh, I think, the way he, he ran things. Uh, on a personal level, uh, I, I like the guy a lot. He, uh, he's a guy that's uh, you know, treated my family just incredible. Uh, kids and, and wife uh, you know, treated them fantastic throughout the years. And I just have a, a ton of respect for him as, as a person and as, uh, as a manager and a sponsor. Awesome. Well, Musi, fantastic episode, wait, buddy. Wait, oh, time out, got, time out. I got uh, something to say. All right. So Musi, uh, first of all, <laughs> I, I, on a personal level, because I've known you a long time, how, how is your family? Like uh, Roland, where's he at? Where your sister's at? Mom and dad are good? Yeah, yeah. Every, everybody's doing well. Uh, you know, obviously, like all of us, everyone's getting a little older, uh, but uh, family's doing well. Uh, Roland has a couple of kids and uh, he's doing well. Awesome. Uh, he's living in the, uh, he's living in Calgary. Okay. Uh, my, my, my two older sisters, uh, Cheryl and Frieda are both in uh, Alberta. My parents are in Alberta. So the whole, whole family is there now. Awesome. Uh, unfortunately with COVID, not able to yeah. see any of them, but I uh, hope we get a chance to get up and visit them before too long, but, uh, yeah, everyone's good. doing well. Yeah. Well, make sure yeah. you say hi to them for me. And, and one thing too, that um, I'll never forget this story. My brother has told me, and this was about your brother, Roland, I believe, but, uh, your dad, Clarence, correct? Does that have anything to do with a broken nose? Okay. No, no, no. That's right. a different story. <laughs> But your dad, yeah, your dad, (laughs) Roland told us that, uh, he went out to the barn one day and, and Clarence is your father, correct? Correct. Yeah. And he was in the barn and, uh, (laughs) Roland walked in and Clarence said, Roland, get out. I'm pooping. (laughs) I don't know if you remember that story. (laughs) I I do not. uh, I don't remember that story. (laughs) Yeah. That Roland told my brother that, of course. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, God bless him. That's wicked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, hey, I appreciate you guys inviting me on. This is always yeah, fun. Not a, not a ton of opportunity to reminisce like this. So I uh, yeah. appreciate you guys bringing me on. And then really just well, with the, the podcast in general, trying to sort of promote the game and, and uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully some good things will come from it. Awesome. awesome. That's Thanks awesome. a lot, Musi. Appreciate you being on. Yeah, anytime. Appreciate it. Okay, take right, care, Musi. Take care. See you, buddy. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Yeah, she awesome. Said, Roland, get out on pooping. <laughs> I had to put that on. Darcy. Yeah, I know. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. yeah. Darcy will hear that. And yeah. he's, he'll, he'll probably laugh. <laughs> he'll definitely laugh. Not to mention the Brookfield boys will like that Pibby story because I know they most of them know it too. That's, I honestly never heard that. Yeah. Like, True story. Ma- amount of time, like, how long did I play there? And, and <laughs> yeah. I never even heard yeah. about it. I time. even told it last night, for Christ's sake, to Joey Smith. Did anyway, you? yeah. yeah anyway, awesome. Musi was a beauty. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, lustrous career. Lot to, a lot of stories there, a lot of yeah. a lot of years to touch on. And, and he's still heavily involved, which is nice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Beauty of a guy. Anyway, what uh, what do we have coming up? Oh, I uh, next after this, I'm... That we're talking with uh, Victoria Hayward. Nice. From the Canadian uh, national team. She just got done playing in that Athletes Unlimited oh, yes, yes, league yeah. down awesome. in the States, which uh, which was heavily promoted and, yeah. and did really well. So uh, so it'd be, be good to talk to her about that. So I'm That's really great. looking forward to that one. Awesome, so. man. Awesome. Anyway, anybody listening, remember to click subscribe on Outside <laughs> the Shoot. Yeah. That's what I, I heard that on YouTube. They said, oh, uh, you did? they said, 
tell tell your viewers to click subscribe. All right. Well, whatever that means, clip, sub, <laughs> click subscribe. <laughs> yeah. Keep listening. Keep downloading. And thanks, everybody. Uh, this is fantastic. All right. I'm out. See you guys. Peace. But I don't trust the soul People pulling on my strings like it's a puppet show For anybody I don't know, leave me the fuck alone Cause I ain't comfortable to be in crowds like a buffalo Wait Looking at your picture like what's real or not Too many filters on your face, baby, peel it off Always gotta take a smell of what that dealer brought They say it's skunk marijuana when it's bunk marijuana We don't jump when you wanna, best believe it, leave it They'll break bread with you, then double cross you like Jesus Oh, we used to say don't believe it till you see it But nowadays even seeing it don't guarantee it I don't trust I've been had a couple times, I'ma say it first My ex-girl cheated on me, I was out the door My next girl had to prove that she was out for more weight You talk a lot of game, but we just don't believe you You need to tighten up your lips, baby, do some kegels I ain't your boy, I ain't your friend, you need to tell your people I don't associate